Welcome to another episode of Your Wellness, and I'm excited to introduce my next guest. I have Mike Rufo here. He is in Toronto, Ontario, Canada, and I'm, in, I'm interviewing him from my post in Costa Rica. And Mike's going to be sharing a really uh, interesting story about something that happened to him about four weeks ago. He is a firefighter, a 22-year veteran firefighter. He's a 55-year-old father, an educator, an athlete. He's a very proud father, and he loves to give back. And so I would like to welcome to the show, Mike. Hi, how are you, Lisa? Awesome. Okay. Now, the reason why I really wanted to share your or wanted you to share your stories because as an athlete, you've been working really hard on on being safe with your with your workouts and your and just being um, really compassionate to your body but something happened about four weeks ago that we're going to talk about so maybe just give a little bit of a backstory Mike why what draw you to athleticism or maybe what draw you to becoming a firefighter just let's get inside your your backstory a bit well I, I guess I've been an athlete my whole life as long as I can remember you know from four years old playing hockey and lacrosse and growing up doing so and really enjoying sort of the the team environment and the challenges that are sort of presented through athletics, uh, you know, learning to be, come up, you know, it's like a microcosm of society, right? I mean, you mm-hmm. learn to function within a group and, and give and, you know, and, and fail and pick yourself up and succeed and be gracious. And, you know, it's, it's really is, like I said, it's a microcosm of life. So, as I kind of grew and was looking towards, you know, life for myself and working, it drew me to initially teaching. So, as I mentioned earlier, I enjoy people in social settings and, and helping. And, you know, so I was drawn to, to that profession and taught, I guess, for seven years. Yeah, roughly seven years before transitioning out to, uh, to become a firefighter, which was always professional to do as well just it, the doors weren't open at the time I was entering the workforce and, and when they did I decided to make the shift because I had a uh, young child of my own at the time and uh, didn't see giving everything I could to students and coaching and doing those types of things and giving everything I could to to my own child at the time and, and the one who came afterwards so it was a good opportunity to transition out, and I did so, and that's uh, been 22 years. And again, it's all the same. It's just it's like a locker room when you go to work. <laughs> Find a great group of people, and you work as a team, and you know, keep a calm, level head, and problem solve, and sort of tense times. And it's just, so, to, so to have a career as a firefighter, you do have to manage your mental and physical health on a on a daily basis would you would you agree with that absolutely yeah yeah we deal with and i've been yeah and so i've been i've been friends with you and your wife for many many years and following your journey and you're both you and your wife and your kids are very active now due to that um passion to be healthy you, you really work you work hard in the gym like you really have a great focus and you really have a a stringent practice what what did a typical week look like in terms of your workout regimen? And then let's talk about what happened four weeks ago. Well, generally try and break my workouts down to encompass all aspects of athleticism. Um, as I mentioned earlier, I'm an athlete 
you know, and, and to be an athlete is not just going and lifting weights. It's, you know, yes, it's strength is one component. Conditioning is another component, agility, speed, power, you know, mobility, flexibility, you know, so I, I try and sort of encompass all of those things into, into a training program. And I've taken several strength and conditioning courses and mobility courses and injury rehab rehab courses and dedicated the you know the better part of you know five six years recently um and and as well my degree was in physical health education way way back before it was sort of known as kinesiology physical health education back in 92. so you know and sort of what kind of prompted me to take a deeper dive and get better educated was i started coaching people and, and training people you know as uh as a, I won't even call it part-time business because largely I did it for free because like I mentioned earlier, I like to, you know, help people out. And mm-hmm. I think it's a really important thing for people, obviously, to be physically active and not just for their physical health, but as you alluded to earlier, your mental health. I mean, so many issues are wrapped up in body image and, you know, in my job, I see firsthand sort of what immob- immobility does to a person and how it yeah sure do a a downward spiral of of health so you know I, I always thought that that was a very important aspect of uh, of living and existing and being happy and and with all that experience you you basically knew what you were doing you were taking precautions you were being safe yeah yeah yeah, yeah and, and then and then and then so let's let's talk about what happened four weeks ago. So you had an accident that has really changed your perspective, your your future a little bit, but um it's I think it's gonna have a great ending. But let's talk about what happened to you four weeks ago. So, you know, I was finished a workout. I just actually finished a, a training block uh, by a strength and conditioning coach called Dan John. It was a ten thousand kettlebell swing workout over 20 workouts, you basically do 500 swings plus some low volume strength work or explosive work in between. I was feeling fantastic and great and was planning for my next training block. And, uh, you know, I'd, I'd moved away from what's known as sort of a vertical squat pattern. So barbell, um, front rack, back squat, that sort of thing for quite a while because, you know, over the years I've had some arthritic changes in my in my knees, particularly in my uh, patellofemoral joint. So, you know, I was trying to heal them and spent the better part of two years doing that with other activities. You know, if I was going to squat and what's known as a vertical pattern up and down where you're, where the load is placed upon your spine, it would be very lightweight and using different protocols and so on and so forth. But I got away from that and started dragging, pushing heavy sleds, things that weren't as demanding on on the knee joint and if you have any sort of physiology background when you go down into a squat or sit on a toilet or sit into a chair as you're lowering yourself um, in your quad muscles or your thighs right the muscles will stretch as you're lowering down right so as the muscles stretch the tendon is placed under its largest load right so you know if the load exceeds a tendon's capabilities, the tendon ruptures, which is what happened to myself in, in this case. Um, now, as you alluded to, 
there was a lot of precautions built into my training and I'm very meticulous when it comes to that kind of stuff. So I was really was quite caught off guard uh, to say, <laughs> say the least on this one. Um, you know, when I decided I was going to reintroduce that vertical squat pattern or that axial or spinal loading, it had been after, you know, almost two years of working towards that pattern again. So I was testing to see where, you know, my quasi one rep max was so that we could base percentages of, you know, of that figure during your lifting. So that's what I was trying to do at the time. So, you know, I started slowly and warmed up and moved all the way up and I had 285 pounds and was up and down, no issues at all. And felt great. And I actually remember thinking to myself, I'm going to stop at 300, but the way 285 felt, I figured, you know, I could probably do about a 330, 340, right? And I was like, hmm, I haven't done this in a while. I'll just, I'll cap it at 300, which is a weight I know I can do. And it'll give me a nice ball figure. So, you know, the next set was 295 and that's when the accident happened. So as I was descending into that, again, like I told you before, as you're lowering yourself, into that squat position, you know, I'd gone down and hit a point where basically we call it the hole. That's as low as you're going to the squat, which for me is, you know, a pretty good range of motion and flexibility through my ankles and, and hips. So I'm able to, to get my rear end down pretty far. I was down there, felt good on the way down. And then when I left every every rep is explosive so when i'm trying to come back up or move a weight it's a hundred percent intent so again i was down and on the explosion on the way up that's when both of my tenants <laughs> and i was uh you know it was just two loud pops and i was going falling backwards thank god i had what's known as a safety on the on the rack because it Basically, as I fell, it caught the weight, so which could have been catastrophic, like broken my neck, or you can picture coming down with 300 pounds, right? You know, you could break your back, break your neck, you know, could have killed me. So, anyways, as I was falling backwards, I saw my quads, they roll up in this case, because the tendon that I ended up, or the tendons that I ruptured were the ones that attach your thigh muscles, your quadriceps to your kneecap or your patella. So I saw those kind of move up and then my knees come out at, you know, those horrible angles because there's no more muscle attached to them at that. Oh. And then I thought like, holy jeez. So I knew exactly what I'd done. And there were several thoughts that went through my mind at that moment as I'm falling back. One is which, thank God that safety's here or I could be dead. Two was, I can't believe this is actually, and I was embarrassed. Like I was super embarrassed because, you know, it's like, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm lifting and training and a lot of knowledge around the subject, which just goes to show, you know, what accidents can happen to anybody. doesn't matter how, <laughs> doesn't matter how you're, how educated you are. You can have the best of everything, and, but still accidents. You know, we look at the poor fella in the Super Bowl the other day who tore his Achilles when he was walking onto the field. Right. These are professional athletes. And like it's, it's 
Yeah, and it's it's good to hear that come from you that even uh, with your best intentions, your education, your experience, these accidents can happen. You just take your uh, mind away for a split second or maybe not even that. And uh, you, you could have these catastrophic losses. And something that you do share openly, which is really um, pro uh, brave of you, is the vulnerability and the embarrassment that you had. You shared this publicly your your reaction and you how you were surprised this happened and you've, the embarrassment you use that word um why why do you feel that way like what brought out that emotion well like i said i mean i've been very meticulous about how i was going about doing things and my training had been going so very well like i was at a point in time at 55 years of age where I was still doing everything I could do and sort of when I was at my athletic peak in my thirties, right? I, mean, I couldn't maybe do the volume. They need a little bit more time to recover, but I could still move as fast as explosively still sprint. Like these are things that people don't do at 55. Mm -hmm. People tend to give these sort of activities up as they age because a, they become inactive and you just can't do them anymore without injuring yourself. Oh. Right. That's, that's the main reason for it. But it's like anything, you know, what if you maintain something, you know, through your, your life, you might have to slow down a little bit on it, but you can still maintain that type of movement. And so the embarrassment came, came from that. It was just like, wow, this is like, you know, nothing that I was ever expecting. And, you know, it took me a little bit to get over that. Um, and in fact, uh, a friend of mine reached out and then she, she was an actuary. She is an atropathic uh, doctor and dealt with a lot of tendon rupture injuries and things like that. And she put it into fairly good context for me. And, you know, she said, look, a Donovan Bailey blew his Achilles. He has the best coaching, best training as a power athlete. And if you're a power athlete or you train that way, you are susceptible to these types of injuries no matter how many precautions you take sometimes just bad shit it just happens and i know that because i see it on my job all the time right? so yeah i bet you do so you don't think there's anything that you could have done differently it was just it was a freak accident it's, or was there any time to reflect and going maybe i should have done something differently well there's a lot of time to reflect when you're sitting in a hospital bed for six days there's lots of time to reflect <laughs> you know so you know, what I could have done differently was train smarter when I was younger. You know, I spent a period of time when I was training for sort of the World Police Fire Games and doing toughest firefighter competitions and CrossFit where I was just all in. It didn't matter. I would train through pain. I would go hard. It was all about winning. And I was successful. I won, you know, multiple medals at the World Police Fire Games and North American Games. And I won, you know, worldwide competition in crossfit and like i i did well but it cost me mm. and over the last two years i moved away from that mentality and it tried to heal sort of the damage that i've been that i did during that 15 or 20 years like i was competing for 15 20 years at very difficult challenges and redlining my body so sometimes sometimes wisdom comes too late to actually really affect the change that you want 
Right. And in this case, as I reflect upon why that injury happened, that's why. And I mean, like tendons rupture because they've been inflamed for a long period of time and, you know, they, they can get better, but especially as we get older, you know, the pattern in which they repair themselves is irregular and you become brittle and it's like a dried out elastic band. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's a good way of putting it. So you're lying in the hospital with two torn thighs. Quads. Oh, your quads. Quads. So for those who, yeah, so we're talking about the, the top muscles of our legs. Those are big muscles, eh? Those quads. Yeah. And you tore both legs. Yes, very debilitating. Exceptionally debilitating. Very painful. Um, you know what? Initially, when it happened, yes, but then you know that fight or flight kind of kicks in, and you kind of move past that. And then, quite honestly, while I was waiting for surgery, so Thursday, Friday, Saturday, three days, you know, as long as I wasn't moving, I was fine. And I couldn't, I couldn't lift my, I couldn't lift my heels off of the, off of the, the bed, as the case may be. Right, because you know those muscles weren't attached to bones any longer. So tendon does attach those muscle to bone, right? Yeah. So, so yeah, I mean it. It was painful, but it's like anything. You just get used to the circumstance that you're in, right? You know, and then yeah, it's just you're just like, okay, well, you know, what do I do now? Right, right now. And so I, I'm not going. Sorry, go ahead. So you're so you're back home now. You're you're off duty for a while as a firefighter, and I know you're working hard on your rehab. So so where are you at now, mentally, physically? How and we'll just start with that question. How are you doing now, mentally and physically? Yeah, better. I mean, you know, initially, sort of after it happens, you go through the pity party, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and it's like I'm sitting at the hospital and sort of that first night was spent in the ER, the waiting room, on a cot. <laughs> Welcome to Ontario Healthcare. Um, and, you know, as you said, you have a lot of time to sort of to reflect, right? And so I'm sitting there like, I wish I'd never done that. Like, I mean, I remember just closing my eyes, thinking I'll close my eyes for three or four seconds, and this really isn't happening to me. Like, I was still kind of denial or disbelief, you know, that this just didn't happen. And then, you know, even though I knew it had happened, it was like, okay, if I close my eyes, it's I'm going to open them and yeah, I'm going to be back home, get ready to go to Jamaica in three days or, you know, mm-hmm. like, or sorry, in two weeks. We're literally leaving for Jamaica in 10 days or something like that. Right. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and yeah, I felt like, wow, like, look at everything that I've lost. I'm going to be canceling two trips and yeah, I'm going to be off work. and you know, what actually sort of hurt my heart the most was that Donna was going to have to go through this journey again, right? I mean, it's not my first injury. I've been been under the knife 10 or 11 times for various orthopedic surgeries, um, you know, and it's like she's put up with a lot over the years with my athletics, right? Um, you know, not just supporting me through the winning, but supporting me through the losing and Sort of, you know, to excel at anything, you have to be 
very, very focused and sometimes very, very selfish. Right. So I'm just here. Oh my God, here we go again. Like she's going to have right. to do everything for her. Right. And that's a big, that's a big strain on her. So that really, you know, that, that hurt. It's like, okay, there's two vacations that I know she's looking on that are just gone now. Right. Right. You know, she works hard too. Right. She deserves mm -hmm. that time. So, you know, there was that, you know, initial pity party for 24 hours or so. And then, you know, what I started thinking, like, let's not really focus on what I've lost, but let's focus on the opportunity to gain it back, which is an exceptional opportunity, right? Because I was very lucky. Like I said, I could have been in the chair for the rest of my life. Yeah. Right? Well, I could be dead. Like, they could be putting me in the ground, right? And again, in my business, I see a lot of people who don't get an opportunity to go to a hospital, right? So I was lucky and I was going to recover and make a full recovery. Right. Okay. So that's where I kind of turned my my focus. And I'm not saying that it's always you know, sunshine and lollipops. Like there's frustration. Like there's there's frustration when you can't do anything for yourself, especially when you're an independent person. Mm -hmm. right? And then you're relying on somebody to do everything for you. And I'm talking from the basics, like, you know, you know, I'm peeing in a jug. <laughs> And right. I literally cannot sit on a toilet because I cannot bend my knees, right? My knees are like, they're in braces where they were locked straight and I could not lower my own heels to the ground from an elevated position, right? For, wow. you know, probably about a week after the, after the surgery. So literally there is a point in time where I was doing nothing for myself, nothing, that's very degrading, and, but you know what? Again, to get through something like that, you know, I keep saying that I'm going to come out better on the other side of this, but it really is a journey of step by step by step by step and small goals, right? Like that's the only way that you can't look at the finish line because it's just too far away. Right. That's where you'll get sort of, that's where you spiral down into that darkness. Right? You start feeling sorry for yourself. It's like, okay, well, Here's another short-term goal. I know I'm going to feel better tomorrow than I did today, so that's what I would look forward to. I would actually look forward to going to bed because it's just this day was coming, and I'm going to be that further along to being healed. And that's why I was so frustrated in the hospital because I had to wait three days to get surgery. I was just like, I'm not healing now. I'm just wasting. Right. So it is really those those small goals. It's like, okay, well, now I can lower my own legs and now I can stand up by myself and now I can take the walker and I can get on like literally when I was going to the bathroom I would have to sit on a wheelchair with a, with a bedpan and lift myself onto the bedpan and lift my legs up so they could be out straight right now I can do that for myself now I can get on a toilet now I can get off the couch and go sleep in a bed right so it's very small things and then when I saw the surgeon uh, two weeks ago, uh, I was able to lose the, they're called Zimmer braces. Those are the braces that keep your legs straight without any knee flexion. I was supposed to be in those for six weeks, but he was pleased and said, okay, I'm going to give you a new set of braces where, you know, you can have 90 degrees of knee flexion. It didn't mean I had 90 degrees of knee flexion, but at least now I had the opportunity to work towards getting that. And I had the opportunity to start physio. So now I'm 
back to doing everything myself and all the daily chores and, you know, I can bend my knee or knee flexion. I hit, uh, I think 117 degrees on one knee and 115 on the other knee the other day and only a week of physiotherapy. I started at 90 when I went. So I picked up, you know, close to 20 degrees of knee flexion in a week. Have the doctors been able to give you a prognosis or a timeline? You know, Mike, this is when you'll probably be able to get back to work, returning to the functions that you're used to, or is it based on what you do, how you, how much yeah, work you put well, in? Well, there's a, there's a certain point in time where you cannot accelerate things beyond, like recovering from a tendon injury, you know, when they do the surgery, they basically drill through the bone, which in this case are the kneecaps. And they fish the tendon through the holes they make in the kneecaps and they, and they tie it, basically suture it. And then the bone needs to graft to the, to the tendon, right? right? In order for that to happen, it's about six to eight weeks before the bone's fully healed. So it's not like I can do any sort of real training or strengthening with my lower body until that occurs, or I'm just going to re-wreck it, gotcha. right? So once that happens, you know, if I continue to progress, because the other hard thing to do is get your mobility back because you've been immobilized, mm -hmm. not using the joint. And of course, there's lots of swelling and there's lots of scar tissue post-surgery. And you have to work through all that. And that is an exceptionally painful process to capture your range of motion again, um, to get through that scar tissue, to sort of wrap your mind around doing that type of work. Like I'll go to physio three times a week where it gets worked on. And then I'll work on my own range of motion at home half dozen to 10 times a day. And it's painful and it hurts. And, but I'm getting my range of motion back. Like normal range of motion for knee flexion is somewhere between 120 and 130 degrees. And I'm almost at 120 and it's only been a week. And that's just, that's just work. That's all that right. is, right? It's, you know, wrapping your head around, getting through sort of the pain to know that this is going to accelerate my recovery. Cause that's where Absolutely. I want to be, right? I want to be back to doing what I want to do. So the sort of the long answer to your question is, Lisa, is probably six months before I can back to work. They're telling me longer before I get back on the trucks. My goal is six months. Pretty sure I can get there, you know, um, back to being where I was before this happened. There's probably going to be a good eight to eight, eight months to a year. Just depending. Like, I don't want to rush the process because I don't mm -hmm. want to end up on the table. For sure. There's no reason to. So, so Mike, if we have some, some people listening who are maybe um, young athletes or those in their 40s and 50s treating their bodies like they're indestructible, is there something you can, some advice you can share with those? Maybe there's, maybe that's a two-part answer to the young folks that are really working their bodies hard and to those that, that think they can continue to work their bodies that hard? Well, it's really the same answer for both groups, right? Make sure you are linked up with a good strength and conditioning person. 
right? A coach who understands how to balance your body. I mean, when you play a sport, you get locked into the same sort of chains of movement or patterns of movement. And if your sport is six months of the year, or sometimes it's a full year now with kids who play hockey, they're like they're, they're on the ice all year, right? <laughs> they're constantly working the same patterns of movement, which means the muscles that they're using are the same muscles over and over again, which means you're getting imbalances, right? So if you're not taking time away to, you know, periodize your training and cycle down and balance your body out, you are going to end up hurting yourself. There's no hundred, I don't care how old you are, you're going to end up doing it, right? It's just a matter of time. And if you're an older athlete, you know, you cannot continue to pound your body over and over and over again and not take proper amounts of rest. Like you, you can't, again, I'll go back to using the same movement patterns. It's like if, if you're a weightlifter and all you do is go to the gym and do bench press, you're going you're gonna to tear your shoulders. Right. Your body needs to be cycled and your training needs to be cycled in, in proper ways. So, you know, if you're just that kind of person who, you know, is going to the gym and you like to go hard and you don't really have a whole lot of knowledge or background in what you're doing, it's well worth paying a few hundred bucks for somebody to design you a good program. You know, or even go online now. It's cheap, right? Like, you know, suss out what your goals are, look for, you know, a reputable trainer online. I mean, people do put out, you know, online programming and, and, and those sorts of things you can follow. It's pretty easy. And if they're reputable trainers are well designed in terms of sets and reps and periodization and those types of things. So that would be my advice. Yeah, if you if you don't and even if you do know. <laughs> can still happen right well, well you can't you can't reverse damage if damage has occurred and you're not training smart so if you're young train smart and continue to train smart you know continue to train till you're you know never stop training like right. i said to get lowered into the ground doing a squat <laughs> never stop training never stop moving like honestly motion is motion and it, it sustains life it really absolutely does. i agree so what i'm hearing mike is train smart uh balance out your training so diversify or cross train so you're moving different muscles if you're an athlete in a specific sport and whether you're young or middle-aged or a senior the same principles can apply yeah it's, um, Lisa. it's just yeah it's the same prescription it's just a different kind right obviously someone who's older has different needs, but the prescription is still functional movement patterns. Right, right. Right? Yeah. So, and that's awesome. through all of life, really. I mean, you squat to sit down on the toilet, you hinge mm -hmm. to bend over to pick something up, you reach above your head to put things away in the cupboards, right? You twist and rotate, you know, to, to reach for a child who's running across the street or, you know what I mean? You carry groceries. So there's a, a carry pattern, you know, you push and pull things. So, you know, those are, those are basic fundamental movement patterns that we do in everyday life. So they need to be trained okay. in the gym. Yeah. Those functional movements are necessary. It's critical. Yeah, absolutely. Well, well, Mike, I, I'm so glad that you're able to join me for this interview. I know you're not, um, 
you, you don't do these very often, but I'm glad that you're being very honest and, and uh, vulnerable because we need to be open with these accidents. Even if you you did everything right, you know, it still can happen. But what's, what the, the message I want people to, to get from this interview is that you didn't give up. You, you, accepted, you accepted your fate and then you immediately got into action. Um, and you're starting to, and you're working towards recovery and you're being patient with your recovery, but you're also being consistent with your recovery. And you're seeing, you know, you're seeing things that you lost and you want to get those back and your wife is there by your side and you want to take her back to Jamaica and all those great things. So thank you so much for spending this time with me. And I hope that, um, I know that some people are going to get some really good lessons from your, from your experience. So thank you. You're very welcome, Lisa.